Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I have said this before, and if you don't mind me repeating myself, let me say this again. One of the best things for me about my own life is the fact that after a great vacation, I had one this weekend, took a little uh, weekend cruise on board Independence of the Seas with our friends at Royal Caribbean, my entire family on board with me. We had a great time. And I love that. But the feeling I get when you come back from something like that, the excitement, the eagerness to get to work, uh, that is just such a good feeling. I hope everybody gets a chance to experience that in life where you don't have that dread about, oh, i got to go back to work. You know, to me, there's an excitement. There's an energy about coming back to work, especially this time of year, because the calendar is almost ready to sort of shift to July. Uh, we've got full sight set on the 2023 season. There's so much to be excited about here uh, with these Georgia Bulldogs. So with all of that said, it is great to be back with you after a couple of days worth the pre-recorded shows hope you enjoyed those we certainly enjoyed putting those together but we especially enjoy being live at least recording live for those of you who kind of watch or listen a little bit later on and we're glad to be doing that today let me begin this way thinking about this a little bit over the course of mostly yesterday kind of starting to get back into the flow of things and sort of put some thoughts together for the shows we may see in college football here this year two kind of late stage empires finally crumble two sort of late stage dynasties finally kind of you know uh give way and fully come to the ground one of these i think you're very well aware of one of these you may not quite have thought about it quite this way but soon you may see exactly what i'm talking about here and and as a way of setting this up let me kind of go back to an issue that we addressed it wasn't that long ago where we kind of did a show and we were kind of getting on kirk herb street a little bit because herb street was making this big case for Alabama winning the national championship this year. And his argument for that was, well, just when you count Alabama out, that's when they become the most dangerous. And what we pointed out at the time was that Herb Street had said the exact same thing a year ago, could not have been more wrong, and yet he comes out and trots out the same argument again here for 2023, that that just seemed ludicrous, the idea that he was just sort of rubber stamping the same argument from a year ago, the same talking points that were struck down a year ago, this idea of, man, Alabama's angry. They've got revenge on their mind for the upcoming season. Well, guess what? Last year, especially late in the season when it came time for the college football playoff, Alabama was nowhere to be found. This notion that somehow the the the, the energy and the motivation you get when you are doubted, that fuels Alabama – that was proved last year to be false because Alabama couldn't feed off that very well. They had the best offensive player in the country in Bryce Young. They may have had the best defensive player, at least one of the best defensive players in the country, and Will Anderson Jr. They had motivation on their side because they were counted out because they had lost to Georgia the previous year, but that motivation was just kind of a false fuel. It was just kind of an inefficient fuel in terms of you know, providing them the, 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 the energy they need to win the national championship. Yet that doesn't stop Kirk, Kirk Herbstreit. We played this for you the other day. That doesn't stop Kirk Herbstreit from coming on whatever it was that he was on and making the case for Alabama to do whatever because they're being counted out and they're being doubted or whatever else. Well, I regret to inform you that Kirk Herbstreit is now doubling down on this opinion, going on a different show, making essentially the same kind of argument once again. He was on the other day with Pat McAfee. Of course, you know McAfee, maybe many of you do. Uh, kind of a sensation in media, now signed a contract to be a part of the ESPN family now moving forward. One of the biggest names in broadcasting here right now. He's a part of ESPN's College Game Day there as well. And Herb Street was on with McAfee, and they're talking about the experience of you know doing game day together and the excitement of the college football season. And in the midst of this discussion, Kirk Herb Street doubles down on the same opinion that he expressed the other day that somehow Alabama is more dangerous than Georgia because Alabama has these so-called doubters here right now this sets us up for where we need to go today so let's hear Kirk Herbstreit with Pat McAfee from last week while I was gone and now the storyline seemingly the big one takeaway is like is Kirby smart John Cena to the rock <laughs> Nick Saban you know is your time is up my time is now is that is that a whole part of this entire conversation like Saban's not going to go be, 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 don't you got you got to be a step ahead of everything in, in this world right be really careful of listening to well, David Pollock said there's a new it's a new that's right when Alabama comes back yes. and yeah. just throws their trump card down and whips everyone's 
I, I, I haven't even really like dug in. I'm already leaning to Alabama to win the national championship. <laughs> Just when you say Nick's done, Alabama's done, Kirby's goodbye, here comes Alabama. They're going to win it all. So if I'm betting right now, I don't even know what it says in Vegas. I'm betting Alabama to win the national championship. I Aaron, love I would say, at this point, it's guaranteed. We'll see it with injuries and what happens, but do not sleep on Bama. So after Kirk Herbstreit said what he said the other day, essentially the same thing that he said there, and having it pointed out that, hey, you know what? You kind of made the same argument a year ago. That wasn't true. It seems even less true now because of the fact that Alabama was kind of nowhere to be found last year. The fact that Kirk Herbstreit doubles down on that argument would lead you to believe he just he, he in this particular case, he simply does not care about getting the facts right. Doesn't care. Just wants to have something to say when he goes on shows like this. And we are not anti Herbstreit people necessarily. Generally speaking, I kind of enjoy what Kirk Herbstreit has done on TV over, over the course of years. And there have been plenty of times, think back to 2018, for instance, Kirk Herbstreit openly touted for Georgia to make the playoff that year, despite the fact they hadn't won uh, the SEC. Even in 2020, Kirk Herbstreit was kind of pro-Georgia late in the season when the the claim that Georgia was one of the four best teams was pretty specious. Even uh, at that time, you know, Kirk Herbstreit was kind of you know on board and sort of touting for Georgia. So Herbstreit is not one of these guys that has a long history of being anti-Georgia or anything like that. I don't want to sell this as something that it isn't herb street typically speaking isn't a georgia hater i believe what herb street is is just sort of slow to get with the picture uh and pat mcafee probably said it better you think about for those of you who know professional wrestling once there was the rock then there was john cena the john cena sort of overtook the rock as the top star in that uh particular you know version of sports entertainment and in some respects, it does sort of feel like Kirby Smart sort of moving Nick Saban off the stage. And Kirby Smart will be the guy doing the you can't see me gesture here uh, very soon as uh, Nick Saban has to watch, you know, from afar. That may be the better description of what Pat McAfee says there. Herb Street, not a Georgia hater. Herb Street just sort of slow to get with the picture, it sort of seems like, and content to be sort of swallowed up by his own misinformation that somehow Alabama has this revenge edge on its side because people no longer believe them. If anything, what's true is that people no longer believe in Alabama because they are no longer worthy of being believed. Uh, and Kirk Herbstreit doesn't quite seem to be aware of that. Now, let me answer a big question here because there are some people who might wonder, well, why does any of this matter? What is why you know why does Kirk Herbstreit saying what he said about Alabama picking them to win the national championship over Georgia? You know why does this matter? And I think there are a couple of reasons why this is true. First of all. Herb Street isn't the only one from ESPN's college game day to already make a big deal about someone other than George winning the national championship this offseason. We have played for you before the clip of Reese Davis. Reese, another guy that we kind of like. Uh, I enjoy Reese Davis's work on TV, but a couple of months ago, he was on some show somewhere uh, saying that he thought Michigan would be the number one team. So here you have the most prominent collection of voices in our sport, ESPN's College Game Day, the show that airs every Saturday morning. And already in this portion of the offseason, you have two of the voices on that show, recognizable faces, prominent voices, picking someone other than Georgia in the national championship. And I think the Georgia fans have a right to be bothered by that because Georgia fans have been waiting for their moment in the sun for quite some time. You know, 40 years of whatever, 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 and Georgia has finally arrived. Not just to win a national championship, but to win two national championships. And I think the Georgia fans are right or they have a right to say we want all the privileges that come our way with being as good as our favorite team is right now. We want to enjoy all the spoils of victory. And that means having the media take the proper uh, tact or conversation when it comes to how they address your team. We said this on one of our pre-recorded shows last week. Pay very close attention to who does and doesn't acknowledge what is obviously the biggest topic in our sport here right now. The fact that Georgia's trying to do this season something that has not been done since the 1930s, when a third straight national championship. And the fact that Georgia is, according to you know Vegas and sports books and things like that, you know they are the favorite to be able to do that. This isn't just an incredible piece of history that could happen. This is an incredible piece of history that is expected to happen, at least according to those who kind of put their money where their mouth is in Las Vegas or various sports books across our country here right now. Pay very close attention to who acknowledges that and pay very close attention to who doesn't acknowledge that. And in this particular case, Kirk Herbstreit is not acknowledging that. The real conversation shouldn't be, hey, who other than Georgia could win the national championship? The real question should be, 
kind of some of the stuff we heard back when Tiger Woods was first dominating golf or when Michael Jordan was maybe dominating the NBA. The real question is, is it Georgia versus the field? Not is it, you know, Georgia, but also all these other teams. Georgia just won last year's national championship 65 to 7. You know, you've heard of like Secretariat, the, the great racehorse, all that happened before I was born, happened before many of you were born there as well. But you know who Secretariat was because of how dominant Secretariat was. Uh, you see the picture of Secretariat, the racehorse, the Belmont Stakes, the third leg of the Triple Crown, and Secretariat's way out front. And the rest of the horses were, you know, seemingly, I don't know. <laughs> if you see the picture, it looked like they're miles behind. It wasn't quite that big. Uh, but, it, but, it, but it, you know, way behind. Well, guess what? The college football version of Secretariat of the Belmont was last year's national championship. Georgia beat the second-best team in the country 65-7. to You say, well, T.C. wasn't really the second-best team in the country. Well, they beat Michigan. Alabama had lost twice. Uh, you know, these teams that had a chance to be there, they weren't there. Georgia was, and Georgia was beating the national runner-up 65-7. to So when you have that to conclude one year, it is inappropriate the next year to have two members the most prominent show you know on tv basically making the case you know for somebody else uh, other than georgia so quick here during the offseason i think the georgia fans have a right to be bothered by that but there is one more point that i think it's worth mentioning here because the real issue is not if herb street turns out to be wrong the fact that alabama once and for all will seemingly finally be a crumbled and toppled empire that it's that, that its dynasty will have finally fully faded into a into to, to, to true total oblivion and the argument of oh just when you cannot nick saban that's when he's his most dangerous uh the true expiration date on that argument may be reached this year i think there's something else that's worth uh pointing out here for a moment that alabama might not be the only college football empire destined to come to an end I want you to listen to this Kirk Herbstreet clip again. And uh, Kaylee Manziel, who's producing today, Kaylee, if you don't mind, in a minute, I'm going to ask you to play this again. I want you to notice that something else that Kirk Herbstreet says here that I think really sticks out in the day and age in which we live right now. This shouldn't be missed. This is, I think, a really interesting spotlight on how the college football media world works right now. And I think it's important for us to address. Let's hear Kirk Herbstreet one more time, please. And now the storyline, seemingly the big one takeaway is like, is... Kirby Smart, John Cena to The Rock, <laughs> Nick Saban, you know, is your time is up, my time is now. Is that is that a whole part of this entire conversation? Like Saban's not gonna go. Be, 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 don't you got you gotta be a step ahead of everything in, in this world, right? Be really careful of listening to oh, David Pollock said there's a new it's a new that's right when Alabama comes back yes. and yeah. just throws their trump card down and whips everyone's I, I, I'm, I haven't even really like dug in. I'm already leaning to Alabama to win the national championship. <laughs> Just when you say Nick's done, Alabama's done, Kirby's goodbye. Here comes Alabama. They're going to win it all. So if I'm betting right now, I don't even know what it says in Vegas. I'm betting Alabama to win the national championship. I love. I would say at this point, it's guaranteed. We'll see it with injuries and what happens, but do not sleep on Bama. Let me tell you what I noticed about that clip. Keep in mind here for a moment. ESPN has had a total monopoly on essentially all of college football for a long time. They basically control the college football playoff. They have had a stranglehold on all the biggest games for a long time. And that has made someone like Kirk Herbstreit very famous because he is the most prominent voice speaking about college football. And yet Herbstreit, we're in almost July now. Herbstreit says in that conversation with Pat McAfee, I haven't even really started to dig in yet on the season. Where you been, Kirk? Kirk Herbstreit says, I'm not even aware of the posted odds for who's most likely to win the national championship. What have you been doing, Kirk? See, this to me is an example of something that I think is slowly starting to change, and I think everybody needs to pay close attention to this. That at one point in time, the only thing being said about college football that mattered was what ESPN was saying about college football because they essentially owned all of college football. They literally own a lot of the bowl games that you watch in December. ESPN literally owns the game. They have essentially owned the sport for quite some time. And when you have a total monopoly, this is the reason why we are anti-monopoly, generally speaking. When you have a monopoly over something, eventually you sort of get fat and happy. Eventually, you sort of lose your competitive edge. Uh, you know, eventually, you sort of lose your fighting spirit. You sort of, you know, control everything. Think about, like, whatever industry you like or care about. When anything sort of approaches monopoly, 
the the entity that becomes a monopoly you know the quality of service sometimes goes down the the the, the product delivered sometimes becomes less uh, impressive you know monopolies are generally speaking not a good thing broadly speaking people don't like monopolies well espn has had a monopoly on college football it has made kirk herbstreet very very rich very very famous in response to that I can kick back all summer. I don't have to look at uh, any college football news. College football is whatever I say that it is. I don't have to be paying attention here. And you're led to believe that Kirk Herbstreit, while he's been, you know, doing whatever else. Uh, and listen, Kirk Herbstreit's a rich dude. Uh, but while he's been doing whatever else, has he paid attention to the fact that Alabama didn't exactly have the world's greatest spring practice? And Alabama didn't exactly have much of a quarterback situation kind of resolved there. And that Georgia brings back what it brings back. And that Georgia has, you know, as much going for it as it does i think you're led to believe here that being on top of a college football monopoly has made curb curb street a little bit disconnected from the actual sport itself and you know you go back to 2015 when we started dog nation daily here and i don't toot my own horn very much I, I, i'm a little bit hopefully you see me as a modest person I don't, I don't do stuff like that but way back then what we realized was is that those who had a monopoly on college football they weren't providing enough college football content to the people who cared about college football. There was this insatiable appetite that fans had to have college football delivered to them on a daily basis. They didn't want their most prominent voices in their in their sport kind of checking in and checking out and going months without paying attention to college football and then coming on some show, you know, you know, you know, late summer spewing some nonsense that was poorly informed. College football fans wanted more than that. And so we kind of started what I think has kind of grown after us into the idea that college football ought to be covered 12 months a year. It ought to be covered 52 weeks of the year. And there's always stuff worth talking about. The sport is always worth paying attention to. It is the second most popular sport in all of America. The NFL is number one. You can't uh, certainly unseat that anytime soon. College football is obviously the second most popular sport that we have. And so given the popularity of the sport, given the fact that Georgia fans and fans of you know other teams there as well are as plugged in as they are to the sport, it deserves to be covered every single day. That's why we do Dog Nation Daily, because college football, Georgia fans in this case in particular, deserve to have their team covered every single day. And yet at ESPN, they don't quite seem to understand that. So when you hear Kirk Herbstreit touting some nonsense, falsifiable, easily, easily falsifiable uh, nonsense about Alabama, this isn't just a statement about Alabama as kind of a late-stage empire. I think it's also a statement about ESPN as a late-stage empire. That ESPN has completely controlled all of college football for a long time, but their monopoly has made them fat and happy. Their monopoly, their ivory tower of cash that's built for them, has disconnected them from the people who actually care about college football and follow on a regular basis. So when you hear Kirk Herbstreit saying when he's say there, it shouldn't make you mad. It should actually make you feel sorry for Kirk. Because Kirk has kind of floated off into some sort of like nether regions of disconnect from the actual sport and what kind of makes college football so fun and so cool. That eventually when you kind of, you know, build yourself a big enough mansion, you kind of wall yourself off from the, from the actual public and you sort of lose connection to what makes the uh, sport operate. And then that's where you kind of see Kirk Herbstreet right now. I think Herbstreet's statement is also a reflection of kind of where ESPN is too. At one point in time, they controlled the entirety of this sport. But now Fox is kind of popping up here on the scene. Now the internet is definitely popping up. Shows like this who talk real college football to real college football fans. And all of a sudden now the the ESPN control, the ESPN narrative that they want to establish, all of a sudden that doesn't quite take shape the way that it used to because there are a lot of people who look at someone like Kirk Herbstreit saying this and saying, well, I can prove that's wrong just by saying this, that, and the other. Very interesting times in which we live where the former powerful entity that controlled everything all of a sudden, it seems like their control is slipping. And all of a sudden, it seems like they're a step behind on the sport they're supposed to own. Uh, and in the case of the Georgia Bulldogs this upcoming season, I think that could be good news. ESPN may not believe in them. ESPN may not be touting them. But when it's all said and done, go for three and 23. I think real fans know that's where we're heading. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We're glad to have you with us, no matter how you get to us, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, uh, all kinds of video platforms, 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app. We are just happy to have you with us and happy to be back here live again. After a couple of days off, enjoying some time with family, but now enjoying being back at work 
And I'm uh, certainly glad to be doing all of that with you. Radio Noon, Athens Sports Radio, 960 The Ref, Podcast, Apple, Spotify, everything else in between. And all these platforms and all of this ability to deliver the show to you on a daily basis. Real college football talk for real college football fans. Not stale, old, tired, tired arguments like they vomit out on ESPN. It would not be possible if not for great sponsors like our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia because we love what they do. They're proud partners of UGA, which is cool. It's fun to do business with those that support the dogs because when you think about how you keep your program strong, obviously supporting those that support it, that's kind of a good thing to do, and that's obviously what Engineered Solutions of Georgia is all about. I'm also very grateful for the fact they have been longtime friends of ours uh, of Dog Nation Daily, really as loyal a partner as we've had, and I'm proud to tell their story. But beyond all of that, I've been to their facilities, I've met with their people, I've, I've seen them in action, and I truly believe that for homeowners who deal deal with foundation issues, waterproofing issues, these are things that kind of threaten the structural the structural integrity of your home, and and they and they threaten potentially you know your most valuable asset the place you got your emotional connection your financial connection all of the stuff that sort of centers around your own home uh you know all of that threatened by a foundation issue or waterproofing issue that's why you want our friends at engineered solutions of georgia on the job for you because they've got an entire team of engineers on staff ready to solve your problem you got water creeping in where it's not supposed to be you're seeing those sort of like stair step cracks in your brick or you're seeing those kind of you know cracks somewhere in the walls signs of a bigger problem maybe and certainly an indication to you kind of a signal to you oh yeah ba said if i see this give esog a call and that's what engineered solutions of georgia is all about they'll talk to you if it's a simple fix boom they'll tell you how to do it if it's a larger fix that's why you want good hard-working smart folks like the people in engineered solutions of georgia on the job for you so please give them a call 678 esog now that is 678 esog now that'll get you in touch with engineered solutions of georgia we are so happy to have them as part of our program and we think they will do great work for you so check out engineered solutions of georgia today all right, so in a couple of minutes, we're going to talk to Connor Riley. Fun to do that. We'll catch up on a couple of the uh, UG recruiting stories that we've kind of missed uh, since I've been gone and kind of cover a lot of that ground here coming up with Connor in just a minute. Before that, though, let me go around the doghouse. Let me address the one big story that I briefly got to discuss like the day I was leaving to go out of town. Uh, that is when the Dylan Riola Buford news became official. We had actually talked about that with Jeff Sintel before. Um, it became official uh, whatever day that was, Wednesday, I guess. And so now we can kind of talk about this as a real thing. It is happening. I had a chance to share some brief thoughts on this, uh, I guess, on Wednesday. But I want to share now my reaction to some of the reaction to all of this. And I'll tell you what it kind of brings to mind for me. It's actually now been a few years ago. It's kind of crazy how long ago this was. But one of the events that had nothing to do with college football that I think had a huge impact on college football was however many years ago this was now when LeBron James left the Cleveland Cavaliers went to the Miami Heat and kind of created like at that time sort of the idea of a super team in the NBA and a lot of folks didn't like that I would say that at the time I didn't like that um, and the way in which LeBron did that on TV the phrase that kind of still lives on kind of died down a little bit because enough time has passed but for a while you know the kind of the catchphrase that James made famous I'm taking my talents to South Beach for a long time in high school football recruiting you heard that phrase used a lot I'm taking my talents to here I'm taking my talents to there you know just you know big cultural touchstone like LeBron James big cultural icon like LeBron James he says something it kind of becomes part of the lexicon and LeBron James way of leaving Cleveland going to Miami the decision broadcast on ESPN uh, another failed venture for them I would say uh uh but the idea I'm taking my talents to South Beach creating the super team I think that created a category in people's mind I think still sort of lives on right now the sort of unpleasant departure from one team to the other and I think that people are always on guard for a sort of LeBron James style you know joining the Miami Heat and people kind of are on guard against that and some of the you sort of uh anti-transfer portal stuff that exists right now I think is sort of based on the idea of oh we don't like it when a talented player leaves a tougher situation for an easier situation we don't like it when that happens that feels like LeBron James going to the Miami Heat stacking the deck in his favor and whether people know that or not that's a sort of subliminal subconscious thing that I think exists in sports and I saw some reaction to Dylan Riola 
leaving his state of Arizona to come here to the state of Georgia, play his high school football, his senior season at Buford, that sort of felt like to me kind of familiar backlash, almost as if they were criticizing Riola for what some people viewed as leaving a tougher situation to come to an easier situation. After all, Buford's a 7-8 power and, you know, maybe hand selecting a team for his senior year. And I want to tell you something right now. I believe that anyone who's been critical of Riola kind of on those grounds of, you know, you know, too many transfers, whatever else, I just feel like they're flat wrong. And I think that's going to be corrected. And I think it's going to be called out. And I think it's important to kind of get this right on a number of fronts. Because what Dylan Riola chose to do by leaving Arizona and come to come to Georgia, he didn't he didn't put himself into a hands picked easier situation. Life gets way tougher for Dylan Riola right now. Because whatever gap you perceive to exist between the SEC and the Pac twelve, I promise you. Wherever you think the SEC is compared to the Pac-12, I promise you, the gap between Georgia high school football and Arizona high school football is even wider. And that's no disrespect to guys like Keely Ringo who played in Arizona. There's obviously some good teams and some talented players. I'm not trying to speak too broadly here, but the overall gap between Arizona high school football and Georgia high school football is wider than the gap between the SEC and the, and, and, and the Pac-12. It just is. So what Riola did was he entered into a more competitive situation when he comes here to the state of Georgia to play. And, you know, we're, we're led to believe we understand that had he stayed in Arizona because of some, you know, procedural rules, things like that, would not have been eligible to play the first five seasons, games of his senior year. So it would have been better for Riola not to play, you know, kind of kicking back, relaxing, and just biding his time to come to college because he could have done that. I mean, the last couple of years, because of the pandemic, things like that, we've actually seen some players not play, you know, their, their senior years. It's becoming a little bit more common for high school players not to play much high school football. We see reclassifications, things like that. We see high school players not playing high school football for various reasons a lot the last couple of years. Well, Dylan Riola's not doing that. Dylan Riola is going to be playing at the highest possible level, 7A in the state of Georgia, here for this upcoming season uh what is the phrase that gets you sometimes apparently dylan Riley wants that smoke he wants to be down here where the challenge is going to be greatest because if you follow high school football you know this buford did not win in 7a a year ago and while dylan Riola is a great player i think rightly selected as the number one player in the entire country y'all dylan Riola is not going to walk into georgia high school football and light this state on fire he's just not i mean he may be the best player in the state but it is not going to be easy right this is not one of those things where dylan Riola is going to come around and start kicking around every team that he plays in georgia high school football because as you all are very well aware georgia high school football teams are very 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 good uh it's hard to be much better of a high school player than justice haynes was a year ago and guess what buford didn't even what get past what second round lost the walton game was second round a year ago they you know they didn't win state championship a year ago with, with a guy like justice haynes on the roster including all the other five stars they had so dylan Riola has now put himself into a very competitive situation a few months prior to going to the university of georgia in other words i don't see any negatives around the Riola move at all I think it's certainly good for Georgia to have a guy like Riola so close to campus it gives him a chance to go there more frequently but I think it's also good for Georgia to let Riola kind of test himself against very very tough very very intense competition prior to arriving at UGA I think that Dylan will get a chance to learn something about himself I think it's always important I mean Kirby Smart said this himself going back what was it January about the idea of hey you want to find players who hate to lose who will do anything to win but when you're not playing in the most competitive environment possible, you don't learn as much about your own competitive fire, your own competitive spirit. You don't, you don't, you don't know what kind of competitor you are until you're actually competing for your life. And in Georgia high school football at the highest level, that is what Dylan Riola is going to be doing. Now, listen, if you really do follow that level of the sport here in our state, maybe you don't love Buford or you don't love this or you don't love whatever, you can have your own opinions on that. But in terms of Riola leaving a less competitive situation for a more competitive situation, leaving a situation where you'd be playing less football for a situation now where you'd be playing more football, y'all, that ain't nothing but good. And you could say, well, what does this do for, you know, relationship with guys like KJ Bolden or something like that? Hey, you know, maybe that's you know, gonna be all, you know, good there as well. Maybe Riola could you know truly have an influence, or maybe Georgia doesn't need the influence, maybe Georgia's already destined to win the uh, kj bolden recruitment ultimately who knows about that you know that, that's that, that's still to be determined but in terms of how you evaluate riola as a player how riola sets himself up for success at georgia being at buford competing against the mariettas and the north Cobbs and the Carrolltons and all the teams that kind of exist you know at that classification in this state right now uh 
Dylan Ryle will now be much more prepared to begin his career at Georgia than he otherwise would be. And so I am very excited about the move. And that is around the doghouse presented uh, today, of course, on Dog Nation Daily by our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia, as we always do each and every Tuesday. Someone else who's had plenty to say about all of this has been our buddy Connor Riley. He's also been manning the uh, walls here at Dog Nation while I've been gone the last couple of days. So a lot to cover with him right now. So let's dive in here. Get ready to do that. Uh, Busy time for UJ Recruiting. Uh, aftermath of the Riola news, and including some of the chatter that's out there about Georgia here this preseason. Let's cover it all with Connor Riley here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Let me bring in Connor Riley, who's, as I said before, been covering this story for uh, quite some time over the course of the last week or so. I had a chance to briefly discuss this with Connor and Jeff Sintel on a video the other day. They obviously have talked more about that since then. So, Connor, from my perspective, I don't see any negative on the Ryla thing whatsoever. It seems like I've seen some pushback from like casual observers, sort of mainstream folks who maybe sort of see this as, a, you know, another guy changing teams, you know, kind of what, what that sort of does to the overall conversation but in terms of Ryla's you know preparation to be at Georgia in terms of evaluating him as a prospect in terms of just the sheer entertainment value everything about Ryla being in Georgia in the state of Georgia for senior year is better than had he stayed out in Arizona I believe yeah I, I it does compel me to point out that the history of guys that have played at multiple high schools especially in the very public manner that that Dylan has uh it's not great, and obviously every situation is different, but you look at guys like Jermaine Burton, Bear Alexander in particular, guys that played at multiple high schools during the course of their college, or high school career rather, and how that impacted their time at Georgia. Uh, that is something that Kirby Smart is at least aware of in terms of recruiting and you know usually guys that they target. However, I think largely you are correct. The, the positives here outweigh the, the, the small negatives, I think, that come with this. Uh, you know, the fact that he's going to be teammates with K.J. Bolden, I think, is significant uh, as Georgia tries to land who is now the number two uh, player in the state per most rankings. Uh, I, I think, you know, the fact that he's going to be able to be at every Georgia home game this year much easier than he would have been where he's still coming from Phoenix or from the Arizona area. Uh, I think that is an added plus, and just in terms of his presence on game days, I think it's going to be bigger. And, you know, look, as skeptical as I am of this, uh, there is a world where Carson Beck is a fantastic year, develops into a first-round draft pick, and heads off to the NFL draft. He's going to be able to be around this Georgia program a lot more, you know, be able to shoot over to a practice if and when he wants to do that. And and so I think that that does give him a little bit of a head start, knowing that he has the potential to hit the ground running next year. And, you know, again, as unlikely as I think it is, there is a world I see existing where where he is in a position to start right away as a freshman. So I think those are all largely outweigh the benefit of, well, this is his fourth high school during the course of his high school career. Let me make a weird comparison for a moment. This almost kind of reminds me, potentially, if it works out for the positive, a little bit like Nick Saban going to Alabama, which is a very strange comparison, Dylan Ronald with Nick Saban. But it's hard to, for people to remember this. But when Saban first took the job at Alabama in 2007, one of the knocks on Nick Saban was, okay, well, Alabama got Saban, but how long can they keep him? You know, Nick Saban was sort of thought of in 2007 of being a little bit of a job hopper. He had been at Michigan State, then went to LSU, then from LSU went to the Miami Dolphins, then he only stayed at the Miami Dolphins for two years. Now he's hopping to Alabama. But he was a little bit of a job hopper by perception way back then. But even back then, I sort of defend him as every move that Saban had made sort of made sense in the context of why he made it. You know, got to the NFL, decided he didn't like it, you know, kind of bounced back to college. And then he stayed at Alabama and became kind of a permanent fixture there as a part of that program. And he's been there such a long time now, it's sort of hard to, to remember a time in which people kind of thought of him as being a little bit of a transient type, type figure in college football. So I think the Riola thing could be similar, that if you look at the moves that he's made, I think there's a justifiable reason for every move that he has made, as long as he now becomes this sort of permanent fixture on the the, the Georgia roster in the state of Georgia. As long as he kind of plants roots now, every move prior to this sort of can be explained as the buildup, the lead up to, to kind of his sort of permanent home there. Now, if it doesn't work out that way, then we'll say, well, the past was kind of prologue and sort of proved all of this. But in some respects... I think when you look at the Riola past, all the moves that he's made made sense in the context of that decision, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So, yes, and I largely agree with you, but 
again, the quarterback position is one where if you're not the guy, you transfer. And, and look, the numbers are what the numbers are at Georgia. Every five-star quarterback that has come through here, with the exception of Brock Vandegrift, who we spent most of spring sort of focusing on and discussing whether or not he was going to transfer, has in fact transferred out of this program. And look, I, you know, some people might say that's a negative. Some people might be worried about about that, that's just the reality of, of this position, especially at high-profile schools like Georgia, like Alabama, uh, you know, et cetera, things along the lines of that. And it's just sort of the reality of, you know, that's, that's life in college football these days. You know, look, a lot of people really thought that JT Daniels was going to be the guy. A lot of people really wanted to see him work out. He got beat out by Stetson Bennett, and Stetson Bennett won two national championships. And JT Daniels is now on his, I believe, fifth school, uh, fourth school, excuse me. He is, he's going to be the quarterback at Rice. Uh, Seth and Ben is going to be a backup for the Los Angeles Rams this year. And, and so, you know, I get, you know, the worry and the thought of, of transfer and quarterbacks leaving to go elsewhere. The reality is Kirby Smart has done as good a job as anyone in, in this sport in terms of insulating their teams to not be dependent on a quarterback. He builds along the lines of scrimmage, the defensive line and offensive line. And, and while, yes, Seth and Bennett was great last year and a big reason Georgia won the national championship, I think more often than not, Kirby Smart would like his program to not be dependent on a quarterback, to not be dependent on a single entity, given that Georgia's depth is what separates them from 99% of the college football programs out there. And, you know, you kind of wrote about this the other day. I honestly can't remember how much we've talked about this, but I think it's important we talk about it again, even if we've already discussed it. Because I addressed this on one of my shows last week, too. You know, the idea that, you know, Riola wants to wear number 15. Carson Beck currently wears number 15. I'm not trying to create a controversy here. I'm just cr- trying to say that symbolically, and I think that's what you touched on the piece you wrote at dognation.com, there's a very interesting kind of subliminal message here, which is that Carson Beck represents the current present for Georgia football, and Dylan Riola potentially represents the future. But that's only true if Beck decides to leave. There were a lot of people in 2021 who thought, well, of course, Stetson Bennett's going to ride off into the sunset. He just won a national championship. But Bennett's like, why would I leave? This is fun. I enjoy being the quarterback for Georgia football. And honestly, I'm not quite so sure that Carson Beck might not arrive at the same decision of, okay, well, I'm the quarterback here for 2023, at least we presume right now. But there's no reason why this has to be a one-and-done situation. If Beck wanted to, including this year, he could be the Georgia quarterback for the next three years, assuming that Georgia wanted that you know, there as well. I think all of the talk about Riola, and I think legitimately he has a prospect worth discussing as much as we have, but all of the talk about Riola and the curiosity about guys like Brock Vandegrift and Gunnar Stockton, I think it obscures, perhaps unfairly, the fact that, that Carson Beck could be only now just beginning his career at Georgia if that's what both parties kind of want. Right, and look, there's a very real scenario where Carson Beck has a good year, Georgia wins another national championship, Carson Beck decides he needs to come back again next year to further develop as a college quarterback. Again, the list of quarterbacks drafted in the first round that have 16 or fewer starts, which Carson Beck will after this coming season, it's Mitch Trubisky, it's Anthony Richardson, it's Cam Newton, it's Mark Sanchez. That's not a great list to be a part of especially when you consider that Newton and Richardson were just far better athletes and that played a factor, and I would include Trubisky in there as well, into you know, why they were seen as first-round picks. And so you know, if that's through the window that which we view this prism, I do think that, again, there's a world where for the next four years, Georgia's starting quarterback wears the number 15 jersey, and then there's a different path out there. And so, again, I don't think it's that big of a deal, and I, I would agree with you that, you know, Dylan says he wants to come in and wear 15. That makes a lot of sense. And there's a world where Carson starts the next two years, wears number 15. Dylan is there for one year wearing a different number. When Carson leaves, Dylan takes over the number 15 and potentially the, the starting quarterback spot there. But I, I think the larger thing here is, is the idea that, look, Georgia's got it set up for the future with its quarterback position, but – it, it, it's not. It's certainly not written in stone. Again, I think you know Carson has to go out there and prove that he's capable of having a good year. And while we like Carson Beck and can think he can certainly be an NFL quarterback as much, it's a deep quarterback class this year with guys like Caleb Williams, with a guy like Drake May, with a guy like Michael Penix Jr., who's played a lot of football. Bo Nix, similarly from Oregon. I'm not saying all those guys are going to be taken ahead of him, but Carson Beck's going to have a good amount more questions than those guys. And, and the fact that he is a plus-plus athlete you're at best maybe looking at him being maybe the third or fourth quarterback taken, and would you rather have that just given the track record of how that has worked out for guys or potentially come back, continue to get better, and, and improve on that? And, again, 
all this has to happen first. You know, Carson Beck has still not started a game, and we're already sitting here batting around the idea that he might be a first-round draft pick quarterback. Uh, There's still a long runway to go here when it comes to the future of the Georgia quarterback position and Carson Beck in particular. And I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on jersey numbers, but I guess by rule, Beck and Ryla could both wear 15. You can only – the only time you can't wear the same number as somebody else, you run the field at the same time, which I can't imagine a scenario where Beck and Ryla would be on the field together at the same time. So I guess technically speaking, they could both wear number 15, I guess. Correct. Uh, I believe last year Gunnar Stockton and Eric Gilbert both wore number 14 on the Georgia offense. Yes. Yeah, so, so that is the, the sort of scenario that you outlined there. All right, so let me shift gears to something else. And I think most people kind of get this. You and I do very different jobs at Georgia, uh, Dog Nation. You're an objective reporter covering Georgia. I'm a show host. You report the news. I basically respond to the news. We do different jobs. But I, one of the reasons why I like talking to you is because I think that while you know you don't kind of come from the voice of the fan perspective the way that I do, I think you do understand fans here pretty well. Uh, you are a sports fan, generally speaking. And I'm curious if you kind of get my point when I say I think that Georgia fans have a right to be a little perturbed that you know Kirk Herbstreet's going around all summer long touting Alabama to win the national championship using the most sort of specious logic possible. Uh, Reese Davis is picking Michigan. You know, on and on you go where it doesn't feel like Georgia's dominance of college football has been fully acknowledged. And I think for Georgia fans who've waited for a long time to be on top of the sport, I think they have a right, myself included here, to want all the spoils that come with that, all the privileges that come your way when you finally have conquered all of college football and it seems like some of that's been a little slow to come and Georgia fans being a little annoyed by that I think they have every right to feel that way do you agree yes but be careful what you wish for would be the sort of tone that I take there and look you know people have a hard thing change is hard for a lot of people and you know no one no one you know as a Patriots fan, you thought Tom Brady was going to play and win Super Bowls for the Patriots forever, and then he goes to Tampa and he does that. The Patriots have been rather mediocre uh, of late there, you know, and so you don't realize the end is coming until it's too late. And I think you know there's a chance that happens with Alabama and Nick Saban for all for all the talk about them. Like, look, LSU is a team that is going to give them problems this year. Uh, Texas, I think, similarly, that's going to be a really interesting game when those two teams meet in Tuscaloosa, and so. I think, you know, from the Alabama standpoint of this, it, that, that certainly clouds it. And, again, you know, while, yes, Kirby Smart has won the same number of national championships as Nick Saban has since Kirby Smart left Alabama, so much of this is still clouded by the fact that Nick Saban has won six national championships at Alabama, and he's still there. And for the most part, they're still competing in those, you know, for those national championships. They were just playing for one uh, two seasons ago in the 2021 season, looking to go back-to-back after winning in 2020, as much as that is a Mickey Mouse championship. Because all pandemic titles are Mickey Mouse championships in my eyes. And so I do think that, you know, again, that's just a – people are being slow to change, and Alabama has been at the top of the sport. And, and, you know, I think as you pointed out, it's just sort of easy to just say, hey, well, Alabama's going to figure this out. When I mean, you and I have discussed this before. You look at how Alabama was recruiting in, in certainly the 2019 class, I think that 2020 class as well, and then the 2021 class, where, yes, they signed the number one class there. We know we knew less about that class than any recruiting class yeah. ever. And so that's a year where maybe you don't quite put as much stock into the top of those recruiting rankings as you do other years there. And so, you know, the fact that Alabama hasn't had the same level of success and hit rate with their, with their recruits of late there, I do think that sort of factors into why maybe it's been tough for people to keep up with the idea that Georgia has passed them. Given, well, yes, you know, say in the, I believe, the 2019 recruiting cycle, Alabama finished ahead of Georgia. Anyone would take Georgia's recruiting class that cycle over Alabama's. I think if you even look at the 2020 class, even with guys like Bryce Young and Will Anderson in that class, I think people on on its whole, you'd still probably prefer to have what Georgia had there. And in the 2021 class, it, just to sort of illustrate the point, Buck Bowers was not a top 100 overall player uh in the 2021 recruiting rankings. There are not three players in this sport that are better than him. I believe Marvin Harrison Jr., also probably either the second or third best player in this sport, was somewhere in like the 80s, 90s, around that 100 range there. So, you know, those those recruiting rankings uh, are a big reason why Alabama is still seen as a top team. And the reality is that this program in each of the last two years has gotten worse. And while, you know, they only lost two games in in 2021 and they only lost two games in 2022, 
this program has taken a step back from where it was certainly in 2020, but even in those like 2017, 2018, 2019 before Tua got hurt sort of seasons there. And, and so it's a program that is, that is taken steps back. And, you know, while sure you can say, oh, don't count out Nick Saban yet. I mean, it's a program that's been trending down as far as Michigan. I do see why, you know, someone might be interested in them. Ohio State has a lot to replace in their offensive line. And why, yes, you can largely trust that offensive infrastructure. For a team that has kind of gotten pushed around a little bit, certainly by Michigan, Georgia to an extent in last year's game uh, in the Peach Bowl, you sort of see there, you know, some level of concern there with Michigan. They bring back a lot of enticing pieces. They've proven that they can replace and sustain on both the offensive and defensive lines, sort of similar to Georgia. Their issue has been, you know, they get to the college football playoffs and, and sort of just get caught with the pants around their ankles. And you know, there's no there's no reason they, that Michigan team should have lost to the TCU team that Georgia played. Uh, that's just inexcusable. And so it's one of those things. And look, you know, as a media member myself, I do this. There are times you try and say, all right, well, I don't want to pick the obvious team. I want to pick someone else that I think can win and potentially make me look smart. I'm not going to lie. I kind of did this with Georgia last year when everybody was picking Alabama. That sort of zag, thinking that Georgia had just as talented a team. And, Ultimately, that proved to be correct there. The reality is, I think Georgia fans know they're the number one program right now, and I'm not saying that should be enough for them, but Georgia fans can understandably be very comfortable knowing that they are living through the good old days, and I believe 95% of them recognize that. And while maybe the rest of the college football landscape doesn't give them their flowers, the end of the season when Georgia's celebrating potentially once again, I don't know how much that that is going to matter. Let me ask you another question kind of somewhat related to this. What do you think about ESPN? Because I played the clip of Kirk Herbstreet a moment ago, and to my ears, he sounds sort of hilariously out of touch with the regular pace of the average college football fan. Herbstreet admitting, I haven't started paying attention yet. I don't even know the college football championship odds. But most college football fans, Connor, have been talking about this kind of stuff for months. You know, ESPN has had this monopoly on college football, but I believe they've largely squandered it because they only basically talk about it during the fall you know their college ball voices essentially disappear greg McElroy is somewhat changing that a little bit right now because i guess he's doing kind of a, a permanent thing but espn essentially only covers college football during the fall despite the fact that it's the second most popular sport in the entire country and so you got a guy like kirk Herbstreit who makes like a gazillion dollars sort of floating in in september floating out again in january and listen i, I get the fact that he's rich and i get all that kind of stuff and you know he sort of earned the right to work when he wants to work but when he's the most prominent voice kind of speaking about college football on espn the network that has kind of controlled most of college football for quite some time I think that, to me, looks like another dynasty that is on its way to crumbling. It looks like another empire that's on its way to falling. And somehow in the future, I believe that the college football world is going to look a little bit less like the version of the sport that's been controlled and dominated by ESPN. We may see more media rights folks kind of involved in the college football playoff and things like that. I feel like we're in kind of late-stage ESPN control of college football. What do you think about that? So... I think there are two separate issues here. Uh, we can get to the ESPN part, part later. With Kirk Herbstreit, do you know what changed with him in the past, I believe, 16 to 18 months? Uh, well, he's doing the NFL now. Exactly. And I think that is a big reason why his college football analyst has analysis has suffered. Okay. Uh, and and I'll, be, I'll be very frank here. I do not think he's a good NFL analyst. I did not like him on the Amazon games last year. I felt like, and I'm a big NFL fan. So, like, every time, you know, when I was watching this guy at Ohio State or I was watching this guy at Alabama, I'm like, he's at Alabama five years ago. Like, tell me something about him currently. And sure. I feel like, you know, maybe Kirk is spread very thin right now. Yeah. And, and he's also recently dealt with some things in his personal life. His son was recently hospitalized. And so, you know, he has, I think, understandably so, been focused on other things. Uh, it just, to me, you know, Kirk Herbstreit is the biggest analyst right now in college football. And the fact that he's splitting time with the NFL, I think that's maybe perhaps my bigger issue. You know, Kirk for so long was the guy that owned college football, was the biggest voice in the sport. And now, you know, he's sort of dabbling between the two with college football and the NFL. And I think it has unquestionably hurt, you know, his voice when it comes to college football in terms of being in tune with that. Because you can't, you can't do both. You can't focus on the NFL and be great at that and be as great as you are at college football. You, I think ultimately you're going to have to choose and – Look, he chose the money from the NFL, and I get that, and it'd be hard for a lot of people to turn that down. But I think that unquestionably in recent seasons, his analysis has dropped off a bit as he has tried to, to you know, have his cake and eat too, so to speak. You know, as far as ESPN, look, it, it is not a, a perfect broadcast 
um, you know, partner, uh, I, I believe, and you and I have talked about this. And look, I, I, as an NBA fan, you know, with some of the stuff they have done there, it, it is not an enjoyable program to watch. And, and so I think from a larger standpoint, you know, this may be ESPN, you know, trying to have its hands in so many different pots and, and really, you know, not focusing on what, say, a consumer wants and what, you know, generates these conferences the most money, which, is, again, is, is what they are obligated to do, that they are business partners together. And so I think the other thing, and you kind of touched on this with McElroy, who I like a lot as an analyst, who, who are the next wave of college football analysts from a national perspective that are, that are up and coming and, and, you know, truly love the sport and speak glowingly about it? You know, for as polarizing as Danny Cannell is for a lot of people, yeah. I think he was unquestionably great for – getting people interested in college football, getting people talking about college football. I think Joel Klatt's like that, too. I think, I think, that, that, I think that Fox is building Joel Klatt right now to be a better analyst than anything ESPN has. Yes, and Klatt, at the very least, he is interesting, and he doesn't have those sort of obvious biases. He, he does, I think, a great job uh, of sort of covering all those bases and being fair and objective on a lot of different issues. With ESPN, who are you building that to be? It could very well be Greg McElroy, a guy I'm, again, I've said I'm a big fan of. I like his analyst style. But who is that going to be? They're trying something with RG3. We'll, we'll see if he's able to do that and become that kind of guy. I think, you know, we've unfortunately hit a spot where, you know, and again, this, this sport's going to change quite a bit more as this goes through a 12-team playoff. And I do think, you know, the television rights, when they come open in 2026, I think you're going to see Fox probably get more involved in this, maybe a CBS, maybe an NBC I think ESPN and some of this, you know, some of those those color analysts have been in their position for so long that, you know, it, it kind of gets hard to get new voices into this sport. But, you know, a guy who used to, I think, be great, Booger McFarlane, he goes to the NFL. He's no yeah. longer, I think, the same voice that he has in college football as he tr- sort of tries to split the two. So I, I think the big thing with ESPN and maybe the, the, the criticism that I would have for them have your dedicated NFL analyst and have your dedicated uh, college analyst, yeah. but don't try and cross them over and, and have them, I think, dilute both products in that in those circumstances. You know, Dan Olofsky, I think, is a really good NFL analyst. I'm not a fan of his from a college perspective. I don't necessarily want to see him on my television on Saturdays calling games, if, if in the event that I'm never at, not at a Georgia game. So let me just finish with this, and I'm an unabashed SEC homer, and I've expressed this opinion before. It concerns me that the SEC is so intertwined with ESPN going forward because what ESPN essentially is not to get into like the you know the Bloomberg you know Wall Street Journal type stuff here but ESPN is essentially a very large failed business it is you know it generates you know billions in revenue but it's essentially a non it's not a profitable business anymore and I think some of the decisions they're making are possibly a reason why it concerns me that the ESPN family of networks is going to be so intertwined with the sec in comparison to the big 10 the sec's chief competition who i just think has a better collection of tv partners or media rights partners if you want to use more modern you know phrasing here as an sec homer i'm a little bit concerned with how intertwined the sec is going to be with espn because i'm not quite so sure that's a good business partnership moving forward can i push back there a little bit please georgia florida Biggest game of the season for Georgia, or at least on an annual basis. You know, big game, you would agree with that, correct? Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. And, and you do a lot of work on Friday nights now. How would you feel about that game being at noon? I mean, it'd be harder to get there, for sure. Uh, but, I mean, look, I, I obviously have loved that game being on uh, at 3.30, but I would also credit CBS for the reason why it's had the prime time that it's had. CBS has been a good partner for Georgia-Florida in all, in all these years. You know, look, ESPN, again, is not perfect. I think all of these broadcast companies have areas they can certainly do better in. You know, for, for CBS, as you know, as good as the production value is, one, those games take way too long to be completed. And secondly, uh, I know you're at all the games now, and I usually am. Unfortunately, I was not able to be at the Tennessee game last year. Listening to Gary, Gary Danielson is real tough. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I think you can find in picnics, you know, the fact that, you know, Fox's biggest game is always at noon. I think that's a drawback for fans. I think some of these games deserve to be played in prime time. Uh, well, you know, again, ESPN isn't perfect. The idea that going forward we're going to start, you know, getting 7.30, 8 o'clock kickoffs that can build the entire day to these mega games, uh, I think is going to be something that is very much something to look forward to. And, you know, again, I understand the criticisms of that. 
I don't necessarily believe that the grass is going to be greener at other, you know, broadcast partners. And let's point out here a big reason, perhaps the biggest reason, that the SEC went from CBS to just ESPN, ABC, Disney, was that the contract that the SEC had with CBS was a complete and total joke for what that game and what those what 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 those rights should have been going for. And the SEC, because of that, is still trying to play catch up to what the Big Ten has with their media rights. And so while I understand, you know, you might want to push there against ESPN, the SEC is not without blame here, in my opinion. Fair enough, Connor. Really good stuff. I appreciate you being here. We'll look forward to reading more from you at dognation.com. And uh, just thanks, as always, for being here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. As always, it's a pleasure, B.A. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. And look, I, I realize that not every fan cares about any of the media stuff. I realize that for a lot of fans, all they care about the games on the field. That's all that, that matters to them. I will give you one word of caution, though, one word of warning moving forward, is that I believe in the way that college football gets talked about in the future, it is going to be impossible to kind of unwind you know, Georgia SEC from its media rights partner and the Big Ten from its media rights partners there as well because why is right now the the SEC, the Big Ten, the two biggest leagues far distancing themselves from the ACC, the Pac-12, and the Big 12 to the point which it's not even obvious that all three of those other Power Five leagues will even exist uh, moving forward? What is the difference here? It's the relationship those leagues have with their media partners that – the thing that fuels the sport right now is money, and the money is provided by the media partners. So in some form or fashion, you know, ESPN doesn't just televise SEC games moving forward, and Fox doesn't just televise Big Ten games moving forward. They are essentially in they, they are essentially partners in producing the the SEC or the Big Ten product. And so in terms of you know how you fuel your favorite team and how you fuel those victories and how you fuel the competition that exists around uh, your favorite team, in this case, Georgia – that's going to be intertwined with the media rights stuff from here going forward. And the business of college football, now that it's kind of unabashedly and no one makes any kind of apologies for the fact this is absolutely viewed as a business, the way in which the business is funded is just going to get more attention, and that is the media rights stuff, which means the actions of ESPN, the way in which they choose to, to cover the sport, and the way in which they choose to kind of provide a platform for the sport, you know, that is going to matter moving forward, and I think that ESPN deserves some scrutiny here. So we'll obviously be there to do that. It is now time to go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And I got to tell you, I had a great time on my own Royal Caribbean cruise vacation this past weekend. And I, I did. This is, you know, this is one of those things where we want to do this for my mom for Christmas. And he had those plans, those months and months of getting ready for it. And I just really felt like it worked out exactly as we kind of hoped that it would. I've got two kids, my brother and his wife, they have two kids watching you know the four of them playing with each other all, all weekend and just running around on the ship and doing all that kind of stuff it was just such a great thing to be able to see and to be able to share that with my mom and you know provide that uh for her uh you know just one of those things that i think we were all just really really proud to have been a part of and to have shared in and to have done that and i'm just so thankful that royal caribbean cruises exist going to provide that moment for me and my family kind of connect together and that's one of the reasons why i'm so proud to kind of invite you to do the same thing because i'm i can tell you i am a very satisfied customer i was on board independence of the seas this weekend that's the same cruise that we took for our dog nation cruise back in april and it's just fun now listen we had nine people on board the ship from our from our uh family here that's a lot of schedules to kind of get coordinated things like that so really for us right now a three-day cruise it was about the only time we could kind of find those dates to do that. Everybody kind of coordinated, everybody kind of, you know, getting together. But for you, maybe it's a four-day cruise. That's what the Dog Nation cruise was. We left on Monday, came back on Friday. Our cruise is a little bit more of a shorter weekend type thing. Uh, you can also take the seven-day cruise. You can do a longer cruise than that if you really want to. Uh, whatever option is out there for you, uh, our friend Jessica Slater, a good travel agent, can help you find it. 770-718-9147. 770-718-9147. You can call her on that. You can also visit our website, royaldogs.com. That is a website that she has uh, put together that not only educates you about what Royal Caribbean offers, but specifically the Dog Nation Cruise coming up in April of 2024. You've heard me talking about that, folks. It is time to get going on the uh, Dog Nation Cruise, bigger and better than it's ever been before, on board Allure of the Seas, an Oasis-class ship. 
Uh, the Dog Nation cruise gets even bigger and better for 2024. We can't wait for all of that. So we'll see you then for that. For now, though, let's go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And last night, I have to say, now, listen, this is one of those things where I saw some of this. I'm not going to lie to you. I did not see a ton of the final series, the College World Series, because I'm kind of en route and traveling, and you're kind of bouncing around. We actually went to Playmaker. This is not an ad. This is true. We went to Playmaker Sports Bar uh, on board Independence of the Seas on one of the nights we were on board. We actually watched the really fun extra innings game. I guess those have been game one of the College World Series final where LSU beat Florida. I know Florida came storming back to win game two in impressive fashion, and those Gators fans, they thought they were on the verge of a national championship because, after all, Florida fans aren't like these redneck Georgia fans that only care about football. Florida fans care about all the sports. They want to be good at all the sports. But guess what? Uh, they emotionally bought into their baseball team last night, and they got disappointed because LSU wiped them up off the turf there in Omaha and won the uh, national championship. So congratulations to Wes Johnson. Now Georgia head baseball coach already getting acclimated to what things are around here, which is fun to beating up on those lousy stinking Gators. Wes Johnson was a part of the LSU team that did that. So that's a great way to welcome him in to start his new tenure as Georgia baseball coach as LSU takes care of Florida, kicks them around, beats them up, wins the uh, national champion. We are not LSU fans, but we are fans of anybody who's beaten up on the lousy stinking Gators. So that includes uh, LSU for us. So we'll give a quick hold that tiger for them on that as they uh, take care of Florida and Florida fans make the long sad trip from Omaha back to Gainesville without any kind of championship to show for their appearance in the College World Series because boy for a while there they thought they were going to win it but ultimately just as much disappointment for them in baseball as exists for them in all the other sports and we certainly love that on a slightly different note uh, I saw I mentioned Joel Klatt a little earlier Joel Klatt recently did a very interesting interview with SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey and Clapp posed an interesting question to Sankey in this interview about whether or not that Greg Sankey thinks of himself as the most influential figure in college football right now. And Sankey, I want to read the answer that, that Sankey gave here. He says, no, I think, I'm a, I think I'm in a role that creates a level of influence or creates a platform. I like to think I've been effective on some issues, but if I was to either accept or seek that kind of uh, definition, I think I would be chasing the wrong thing. I think it's the product of the work on a day-to-day basis. I have to be effective in my work. I have to be in a place that has permanence and then provides influence. I think that's a byproduct rather than the center of who I am or what I do. One of the things I find very interesting about Greg Sankey is I think he chooses his words carefully, and I don't think he's afraid to kind of throw a zinger when he needs to. Now, some of the stuff that he's kind of done in the past, I'm not quite so sure matters to me all that much. The idea that the SEC adding Texas and Oklahoma was better than the Big Ten adding UCLA and USC because of the fact that there's not as much geographic difference between Texas and Oklahoma as there is for the two LA schools joining the Big Ten. Ultimately, I'm not quite sure how much that kind of stuff matters. But Greg Sankey in that statement right there used, I believe, a very important word. He talked about the word permanence. And this to me really does matter. And this is one of the reasons why I do think that Greg Sankey is the most influential figure in college football, whether he wants to be or not. Um, is that Greg Sankey does appear to be in this for the long haul. For better or worse, he does appear to be a lifer in college athletics, in the SEC in particular. And therefore, for those of us who care about college athletics, the the version of the sports, football, baseball, basketball, things like that, the versions of the sports that we've enjoyed in the past, our hope that those things last into the future, I think in some form or fashion, Greg Sankey probably is our best hope to ensure those things continue to exist in the same way. That's not a guarantee that Sankey's going to make all the right decisions because, frankly, I'm not so sure that he's going to because these are tough choices that may have to be made in the future. But I think that Sankey is our best hope for leadership because what Sankey says he has is something other folks have sort of shown that they don't have. Sankey talks about permanence. Guess what? That's not what Kevin Warren had. The Big Ten commissioner, uh, more than happy to kind of turn all of college athletics on its side, bringing in USC, UCLA, not to mention the disgraceful uh, behavior back during the 2020 uh uh, uh, year when he was seemingly hell-bent on canceling a season that didn't need to be canceled. Uh, Kevin Ward made all of those uh, decisions with really kind of a level of short-term thinking. Warren's no longer involved in college athletics. He's now the president of the Chicago Bears. Apparently, he had no interest in de- dedicating devoting his life to college athletics, but was more than happy to use the Big Ten like a plaything while he was the league's commissioner, making seismic changes to college athletics because he could. And 
you know, sometimes, you know, doing something because you can't. What's the line from Jurassic Park? You're so busy trying to decide if you could. You didn't figure out if you should. Well, it seems like some of the stuff that Kevin Warren did as Big Ten commissioner was an example of the kind of short-term thinking that someone participates in when they don't plan on being a permanent part of college athletics. I have very little respect for Warren for some of the things that he did in the Big Ten. His absence in college football is sort of, a, I think, an example of, you know, good riddance. But the things that he did on the base of the short-term thinking while he was here, I think it created some real problems. And I think that Sankey being more of a permanent part of college athletics does, in this case, make him better. Uh, the other guy you'll mention sort of in the same vein is a guy like Jack Swarbrick. Uh, that was the former Notre Dame athletic director. Notre Dame's not in a conference. They are a big brand in college athletics. So, therefore, Swarbrick has kind of always had a seat at the table for any of these uh, deliberations that have gone on about the future of college athletics but Swarbrick himself has now announced that he's retiring he is stepping down another guy that has made some big decisions as of late without planning on being a part of the fruits of those decisions over the course of the long haul Greg Sankey is just different now does different make him better I think we're about to find out Sankey's going to have to lead through some very tumultuous stuff uh, coming up in the future because all the change we have seen in college athletics as you know there is even more change on the way in the future and there's going to be some right decisions that could be made or some wrong decisions that need to be avoided and I hope that Sankey leads well throughout all of this but there's no doubt that he is the influential guy here to go back to 2020 when everybody else wanted to cancel the season, Greg Sankey was a leader in saying there is another way. Sankey was proven right on all of that. And I hope he can be proven right again as more tough decisions are going to be made in the future. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. So happy to be back in the chair again, doing the show again, and happy to have all of you on board with us there as well. And most of you coming off a fun weekend in your own right, whether you're on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation or not. In fact, let's give you an example of that with our golden shoe here today. How about AJ Hood sharing this? You got the smoker cranked up there. You got some good looking, uh, uh, what is it? Looks like a steak. Get ready to go on the grill there. That's uh, very nice. And of course, some finished long drink uh, right there to go along with AJ saying, I'm quote, finishing the week off right boy aj it sounds like you're having a good time doing that with our friends at the finished long drink always pairing great with an outdoor cookout or some steaks on the grill whatever you got going on the finished long drink pairs great with that you better believe that so aj hope you enjoyed it thanks for sharing it with us wish you to share some of that uh beef and uh, long drink with us that would have been good too but we'll give you a golden shoe nonetheless how about those lousy stinking gators big loser in baseball big loser in football 123 three days from right now that is our gator hater countdown we will see all of you back here tomorrow dog nation daily presented by engineered solutions of georgia